to the Overgivers Anonymous podcast. My name is Angela Mondor, also known as the Geeky Girl. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about some amazing things to help you get over overgiving. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Overgivers Anonymous podcast. This is exciting. I can't even tell you. I'm so excited about this. I am bringing you a guest who I've, I've met her today. <laughs> Super exciting. Dr. Christy Sumner holds a PhD in public affairs with an emphasis on criminal justice from the University of Central Florida. Her professional background includes eight years as a senior director and spokesperson for the registered traveler company focused on biometrical clearances for the traveling public. Ooh, that's a mouthful. But you know, that's really super, super cool because I mean, it brings the whole tech thing together because you guys know I love tech and I'm a geek. So this is like really sweet. Where she routinely gave presentations before national airports, local national media, and members of state legislatures, and the US Congress. This woman's on fire, ladies. <laughs> she was also a consultant for our biometric credentialing company. I gotta tell you, I had to say that so many times. And she was a college professor at Metro State College of Denver and at the University of Central Florida. She is the founder of Soul Sisters Paranormal. Remember that name, guys. And she is currently the co-owner of the historical Scout Scott County Jail and Museum located in Tennessee. And I told her before we started talking that I've got to go see that because that sounds absolutely cool. The museum, which Sumner opened with her friend and business partner, Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorations. Oh, we're just really pulling it for you today, guys. Functions as a historical museum as well as a paranormal research location. Can you tell we are doing a Halloween episode today? Oh! Welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. <laughs> I, I can't even tell you. I mean, most people know that Halloween is my favorite holiday. Mm -hmm. And so to have this opportunity and literally, I, I want everybody to hear this. Like if you're listening to this and you have your own podcast or your own business and you interview people for whatever particular reason, literally Christy posted in one of the groups that we're together in in Facebook and she raised her hand and she said, Hey, this is what I do. I'm interested in being on podcasts and I would love to do a Halloween episode with you guys. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, bring it. <laughs> so you never know when you put something out there, you put a feeler out there, you never know when something's going to drip. Yeah, absolutely. You got to take the chance, right? Totally. And so let's just say this up front, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, that's fine. Take this for what it is. If you don't know, I'm a huge believer. I've had lots and lots of things that happen that just can't, I can't explain. And it's, I honestly am a hundred percent of a believer. Mm -hmm. Now, Christy, is there anything you want people to know before they continue listening? Well, I think from the paranormal research side of things, um, a lot of people, when they speak to me or to fellow paranormal investigators, they really think that paranormal investigations is what they see on TV, right? The popular media, um, everything's a demon, everything's demonic, uh, you know, it's all evil. And that's really not the case. Uh, you know, I think what I'd like people to take away from this, to your point, whether you're a believer or not, is that TV is made for sensationalism. Um, what we do is we go in with a very healthy skepticism of these locations, as well as a respect for the historical perspective, as well as the paranormal perspective um, for the spirits that we're trying to communicate with. So I think what I'd like to say is it's different than what you see. If you watch any of our episodes, you see we're very history driven. And then we couple that with paranormal activity that we find. Um, but uh, you have to take television shows and popular media with a grain of salt when it comes to paranormal investigations. And then it, that's everything. I mean, mm -hmm. anybody who's been listening to me long enough knows 
I don't watch the news. I have no interest in the news. I have no interest in any kind of sensationalist. I love to speak to people who are boots on the ground and really there, right? Mm -hmm. So it's nice to have you here so that we can talk about it that way. All right. Well, thank you. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Like I said, <laughs> fantastic. So, okay, here's the thing. I, I mentioned my husband actually that we were having this conversation and, and I had said this last night to him. I'm like, Oh, I, I, I'm meeting with Christy tomorrow and I'm super excited. And he's like, let me send her a message. I'm like, no, she's not a psychic. You can't telepathically. <laughs> Paranormal is not that. You get things like that. Do people think things like that when they, when you, when they talk to you about these things? We do get asked if we have psychic abilities or some type of empathic abilities. I will say that we do not profess to have any of those abilities. Um, now, I will say that my sister and I were twins. And so I think we have a different connection on that level, um, probably more so than most siblings do or most family members do. Uh, so I will say that we have that close connection to the point where I know what she's thinking. Uh, you know, sometimes we will uh, know to call one another when the other one's in trouble and we didn't know beforehand. So we have that type of a connection. But as far as saying that we're empathic per se, uh, no, we, we really don't profess to have that type of an ability. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to me when people don't don't know Right. So it's like mm -hmm. you said with the TV thing, like they just think like people think, oh, whether you're watching a horror movie or whether you're watching news or whatever, you just sort of assume it's the truth. Mm -hmm. right? right. And the ideas that people come or the, the ideas that people bring to the situation. Right? right. That are either not true or maybe there's a piece of them that are true or, uh, you know, and everybody's experience is so different. Like you said, some people are worried that everything's demonic. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of people who immediately they don't understand it. So then therefore it is demonic. Right. Right. Exactly. And they, they come in with kind of those preconceived notions and, and I'm sorry not to interrupt you, yeah, but no. you know, to your point, that is, that is where the media aspect comes in. Right. And, and so what we're trying to do with soul sisters paranormal is when we first started this group, we, we wanted to first raise the level of professionalism as best we could to what we consider a subculture. Right. And a lot of people do consider it a subculture. So really to bring this more into the mainstream narrative that it doesn't have to be something that you're afraid of. Um, it doesn't have to be something that you go in and you think it's evil. You know, I, we've been to some of the most reportedly haunted locations in the country. And I can honestly say that in all of those experiences, we've never felt anything demonic, anything threatening um, or malicious towards us. And uh, so I, I think that's where we strive to really educate our audience and the public about what we do and how we do it. And, and just really kind of open their minds a little bit to say, okay, it's not like that. But if you come at it and look at it from this perspective, you know, it, it may open your eyes a little bit to maybe a, a different belief structure or um, at least the um, recognizing that there is another side of of to what you're seeing on popular media. Right, right. And so the elephant in the room, of course, is the fact that you're sitting in a jail. I am. <laughs> and it's a historical jail. It is. Right. And on top of that, we did say that this is a place where you do experiments and and that kind of thing. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you while working in the jail? Uh, well, there'll be numerous times where we'll just be sitting here and you'll hear a door slamming from upstairs. Uh, whistling has become pretty prevalent. And we were actually talking to a former jailer and he said that uh, when there were times that they forbid the inmates to talk to each other, whistling was the form of communication. And so it's kind of like a Morse code, if you will. And so whistling has become pretty prevalent. We've captured shadow figures on camera, um, on video camera. We've had objects move here in the jail. And uh, to us, it's really, 
it's an immersive experience for us on a day in and day out basis. And we love it. It's just one of those things that we can, we can really build our, our evidence base, if you will, to say, these are things that are happening. And these are things that you can come to the jail and, and research and experience for yourself. That is so cool. And, and you're right. I mean, the, the concepts that people, you know, feeling demonic. And I think that like, I've had experiences where I've known the entity and mm -hmm. I've had experiences where I haven't. I like when we lived in our very first home, my husband and I, there was a woman in a white dress. Not that I ever saw the white dress. You could just sort of know that it was the white dress. Like I never actually saw the entity themselves. And then after we had our first child, she actually left. It was like, oh, well, this room's full now. I'm leaving. So she just <laughs> kind of, she was there, but right. Mm -hmm. She did some silly things though. Mm -hmm. I, I have to tell you, there was one time my husband couldn't find his wedding rings anywhere. He had, he had looked everywhere for his wedding ring he couldn't find it anywhere and then one day he got around to one of the projects that he hadn't been doing in the house mm -hmm. and it was to literally it was a, a box of of um piping that he was supposed to put from the dryer to the outside vent wall okay, okay yeah so the box had never been opened we bought it from the store it was sitting there waiting for him to do it when he finally got around to the project guess where his wedding ring was Inside the box. Inside the box. <laughs> <laughs> and, and see, that's that's a, a classic example, I think, of, you know, an entity saying, I'm here and I'm, I'm, I'm watching over you to some extent where you need to get this done. Maybe she was a, a spirit that was there to help you, and, you know, kind of nudge, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's get the husband in on, on doing what he needs to do type of a situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah and, and we've actually had items disappear here in the jail. Um, and so moving items are, are pretty common in what we do and what we experience yeah it's and i think that you know instead of being i mean some people might just go well that's the weirdest thing and they might not even connect it to anything else they feel right but i think it's fun like you said it's immersive it's you're part of what's going on around you mm -hmm. and i've had other times when so that was somebody i didn't know but after my husband's best friend had passed away i he would hang around all the time i'd be playing with my daughter and he'd be here in, just standing in the doorway you know and mm -hmm. you could just tell it was him he never interacted with us he was never part of what we did but I could always just sort of feel him in the corner so and I think that that's something that's interesting when people say what does it feel like or can you see them right like there's mm -hmm. all that a lot of those kinds of questions yeah, and we do get that a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of what we experience <clears throat> when we go to these locations is uh, disembodied voices. So we tend to hear entities more so than see them. Uh, seeing them or and or capturing them on video or on camera is um, that's extremely rare. And those those cases where we do find that type of evidence to us is just so fascinating. But um, you know, disembodied voices are very common in the locations that we go to. For me, I think it's just because we're dealing with energy. I think that making a sound it takes much less energy than actually appearing as an apparition. And so for us, the the um, entities that we've seen have really been in shadow form. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, there, there haven't been many where we can say, okay, there's a woman standing there. It, it basically looks like a shadow. Um, you know, it's hard to tell gender in yeah. some instances with these, but uh, yeah. So it, th those are the type of things that we've captured. Like I said, disembodied voices, some shadow figures, um, some, some things interacting with our handheld equipment, i.e. energy um, in response to certain questions and such. That's really what we tend to get on these, in these locations. Yeah. That's so much fun. So, and, and I know that you said you're into the history piece of it. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says, Hey, we've got this place for you to check out or whatever, 
do you do the history work before you go? Do you do it after? Like what's the, how do you normally handle that? It's really both. Um, so to your point, what we get to do is have this very tactile experience with these historical locations, right? So not many people can say that they've stayed the night in the St. Augustine Lighthouse or in Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary or the Lizzie Borden House. We can say we've done that. And so what we try to do is we do um, a real deep dive into the historical narrative first, and then we you do we we go and do the investigation and then afterwards we go back and do supplemental research um and and we feel that really is necessary to build this historic narrative for our audience because we like to incorporate certain things or aspects of a location that that people might not know about those little little hidden facts or um historical stories that may not be in the overall narrative of that location so we really like to bring those to our audience and it really does drive every Thing that we do because without the history there really would be no paranormal um, and so even if we go to a location and we do our investigation and we don't sense anything that we consider paranormal that night that's not to say that it's not haunted um, it's just that wasn't our night but we still put together a video representing the history of that location because we feel it is so important and so let's let's say you've gone to tell me if that's has ever happened to you mm -hmm. have you ever done the research the history and you've gone to a spot and while you're there, you either get the sense or you somehow are alerted to the idea that maybe a piece of the history that you found was wrong. There's been a couple instances, yes. Um, you know, there was, uh, we went to um, Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia, and this was a, a Revolutionary War fort. It was built um, specifically by, by George Washington and his army, and it really allowed Washington to get out of Philadelphia in, in you know, in, in advance of the British coming in. So it was a, a very important piece of history. Uh, and then after the Revolutionary War, it became a Civil War uh, prison for both Union and Confederate soldiers. And so we knew a lot of the history going into it. And one of the historical stories was that there was a solitary confinement cell. It was a subterranean cell. It was about eight feet underground. And um, the, the, the prisoner that was held there was a guy by the name of William Howe, and he was a deserter. Um, and so they were going to hang him on the, on the grounds of the fort, which they ultimately ended up doing. Um, but, you know, our research kind of led us to think that, you know, he was a, a pretty bad guy. But when we went down into the casemate and we spent several hours down there, um, both as teams of two, three or individuals, you know, some of the responses that we got um, was a spirit that really wanted to talk to us, to interact with us. Um, during the night, we left what we call trigger items in that casemate. So we left some water, we left a cigarette, and we left some bread. And um, and so during the night, one of us asked, you know, did you see the things that we left for you? And we got a yes, thank you. And so it, it's, it really is one of these things where if you sit down and really communicate with the spirit and recognize them for who they were in life, um, whether it was a, a good person or a bad person, right? They still had a human existence that you want to acknowledge. And so when you sit down and really give them that respect per se, um, I think we that's why we tend to get some really interesting answers. And so to your point, yeah, we use a lot of the history that we found in that, uh, in that investigation to really guide a lot of the questions that we had there at Fort Mifflin. That's awesome. And mm -hmm. so there's, there's a couple different camps, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's a camp that's like, and the whole concept of energy can never be, uh, you know, um, destroyed or created, that kind of idea. And that objects hold energy and therefore it's the objects that are releasing this energy that we're connecting with. And then there's the other camp that is like, no, like this is an actual spirit being blah, blah, blah with energy. Um, 
to me, I think that it's somewhat in between. I think that some of the things are actual spirits and some of the things are energetic blueprints or, or, or footprints, so to speak. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? It does. And, and, you know, I think because of that, we did, we get different interactions based on both of those theories. You know, for me, uh, I do believe that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It has to go somewhere. Um, I am a Christian, so I do believe that most spirits, when they die, they're going to ascend to what's next. And so I'll call it heaven. But I do believe that there's instances where those spirits are allowed to stay behind and whether it be for unfinished business or, you know, they, they have a fear of retribution of the life they lived on earth. Uh, there's certain variables as to why those spirits are allowed to communicate with us. And, but then also you have those objects which can hold that energy as well. And I believe on those investigations where we find something like that, we call that um, a residual energy, right? It, it really, it doesn't take really the form of a human um, per se. It's not going to interact intelligently with us, but it's going to give us the sense that something was there and had a connection to it. Whereas we have um, in, intelligent responses, and those are actually spirits that had that human existence that are there in the moment with us. So for example, if I say, um, you know, was your name Jane? And we get a response of yes, that to me is an intelligent response, um, more so than just something occurring um, like on an anniversary of somebody's death or, um, you know, an anniversary of, of something that that is germane to that location. I think we can get residuals sort of like a blip in time. And those are obviously a little bit different than intelligent responses. Yeah, yeah. It, it fascinates me. That's just the truth. Um, and and like I said to you privately before we talked, and of course, I don't mind sharing this for everybody. I've had lots of experiences. There's just, I can, I, there's nothing in me that can be a skeptic simply because of what I experience. And it's interesting for me, sometimes I interact with them through scent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. I have, when I can smell cigarette smoke, it's my grandpa every mm-hmm. single time, right? And I only knew him up until I was six months old. So I don't know him. Right. But I know it's him. I know of him. Um, My grandmother leaves me dimes. Very cool. For a while, I couldn't figure out why grandma was leaving me dimes. I'm like, what's with the dimes? But then I remembered she used to give me St. Christopher pendants. Okay. Okay. So she was a big, big fan of St. Christopher. That was her thing. And they're about the same size as a dime. So now I just say, thank you, grandma, so much. Could you send me like a million and a half more of those? (laughs) There you go. And, and, and I'm like, going to remember you, my friends. Yeah, you could like update that to a dollar now. It's kind of more expensive here now than it was when you were here. We've got inflation now, Grandma. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think that, you know, for me, the experience isn't always a sense. And I, you know, I'm not necessarily, people say, oh, you can you talk to them? You know, for me, I think it's more of a, a nonverbal communication, but certainly the smell. I know that there's certain smells that come from the remembrance or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I know that they're not object based because I don't have anything grandpa's here, you know? So it's interesting to me. Um, what are the different ways that you have had these kinds of interactions? And that's a great question. And to your point, um, you know, the sense of smell is very much heightened when we go to these locations, because obviously most of the the investigations that we do are in the dark. Um, And when you go into these locations, essentially completely blind, if you will, the other senses become heightened. So your sense of touch, your sense of smell and your sense of hearing really become acute. And so to smell these things, um, you know, for example, here in the jail, 
during the 1980s, um, marijuana uh, was a big crime that you could get arrested for right here here in this county. And so there'll be times where we'll be walking around and you'll just get a, a one whiff of, of marijuana. Um, women, there were women inmates here as well. So every now and then perfume, we'll, we'll hear, uh, we'll smell that. Um, and that's common in a lot of the locations that we go to. Uh, to your point, cigarette smoke is very pervasive in jails and prisons uh, because that was the, the one thing, the one vice that most of them had. Um, so smells are very uh, common for us. Um, there are some instances where you get touched. Now for us, when we go to a location, we like to set our intentions. And by that, I mean, we tell the spirits that we're here to communicate with them and to tell their story and they're not allowed to hurt us in any way or touch us unless we give them permission to do so. So there'll be times where I'll say, if you're here, if you want to touch my pant leg or pull my hair or give me a high five, you're more than welcome to do that. So we've had those experiences as well, where you feel something touch you or you feel your pant leg being pulled, um, really in the instances where we think we're communicating with a child's spirit. Uh, we, we get the pant leg pull a lot. Um, and then, like I said, sounds, sounds, um, you know, we've had numerous instances where we say, can you say something? And we get a word or a knock or a bang or a door slam or footsteps. Uh, so pretty much every location that we've gone to, there's some type of disembodied sound that, um, that we are sure is not caused by one of us on the team, but that is very germane to the questions that we're asking or the location that we're at. And I think it, what, what's really important about that last little chunk that we talked about is the fact that you go in with the intention and say, we don't get, basically you're saying, I do not give you consent to touch me mm -hmm. unless I ask for it. Now I'm going, I'm going to say this, this is, this is a truth of the matter. I have had entities touch me. Um, I've never, but they've, I've not gone into a situation with where you have to put a pretense in front of it, right? Like literally mm -hmm. I was standing, I was walking down the stairs in one of the houses I lived in and somebody punched me in the stomach. I was not expecting that to happen. Of course so not. it wasn't like <laughs> I'm coming into my basement and I don't want you to touch me because I didn't know anybody was there. Right. Wow. But it's very, very, um, I find I have never had a problem saying that's not allowed. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to touch me. Um, where, they've not respected that. Mm -hmm. um, so even if I've had them get up in my face or, you know, they're trying to get my attention for whatever reason, and they get my attention in a way that I'm not comfortable with, I just let them know right away. This mm -hmm. is not how I want you to have my attention. If you need to talk to me, you can communicate with me, but that's not how I appreciate you. And the other thing is, um, like I told you before, my, my whole family's very spiritual. And I have uh, one of my daughters is very connected. And so she actually in her job this summer, she had to go to several different um, grave sites, right? Like okay. cemeteries, right? And she will say as she's coming to the grave, because it tends to be pretty busy there. <laughs> <laughs> so she comes and she says, I'm just here to do my job. None of you are allowed to follow me home. Mm -hmm. You belong here. And I'm not taking you anybody with me when I leave. And so if you are uncomfortable, like even if you don't believe, even if you're a non-believer, but you're going into a situation where you feel uncomfortable, set your boundaries. 
Exactly. And that's exactly right. Setting those boundaries, setting those intentions, you know, every, every location that we've gone to, if you watch any of our episodes, you will hear us say, we're here to tell your story. We want to hear your story and your narrative. And I think because we go in with that sense of respect, both for the location and the entities that we're attempting to communicate with, we get that level of, of respect. Now, I can honestly say we do not go in with bravado. We do not go in with chest thumping or any type of provocation where we say we're not going to believe you in you unless you throw this chair across the room. That is not how we operate. But yet you have those teams or those individuals where that is their style, that is their method. And really like begets like, right? So yeah. if you go in with aggression and you go in with these um, provocative tendencies, then I think that that's where you're going to get the physical manifestations where you're going to get hit, you're going to get scratched, you're going to get, you know, told and know in certain terms that you need to leave because this is our space, not yours. Yeah. And so- and like I said, for us, it is one of those things where we are very respectful of the location. We're very respectful of the history and the spirits that are there. Yes, that's awesome. I think that's a fantastic way to sort of wrap up how how you do your how you do what you do. I do want to ask you, in terms of all of your experiences, which one do you look back on and say, wow, that surprised me? Um, okay, so I can honestly say that every location is so unique and so different. Um, we were at uh, the Grand Old Lady Hotel in Balsam, North Carolina. So this is a three-story hotel. It was built in 1905 as part of the railway system through the mountains there of North Carolina. And um, it was extremely opulent. So large sweeping staircases, grand ballrooms, uh, hardwood floors throughout. There's about 100 guest rooms. So a, a very grand hotel. And uh, during the, the heyday, Everybody wanted to stay at the Grand Old Lady Hotel. And then um, in the 1950s and 60s, it started to decline. And then it went into disrepair and abandonment um, up until the last few years when the new owner really tried to open it back up to its grandeur. And um, so when we investigated there, we had the entire hotel to ourselves. So we we got complete run of the property for an entire weekend. Wow. And so it, it was myself, my twin sister, Jenny, and Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorations. She's another investigator that we collaborate with and who's my business partner. So we were there and uh, Miranda conducted her investigation on Friday night and Jenny and I conducted our investigation on Saturday night. And Saturday night, even though we're all on, in the, on the hotel property for the weekend. Um, so Saturday night, we decided to um, stay in one of the larger suites on the third floor adjacent to the most reportedly haunted hallway in the building. And so it's a, it's a large suite. It has an interior room, which had two queen beds, and then an exterior room, which had a, a full-size bed and the only doorway to the hallway. And so we had a night vision video camera um, on the inside of the door and one on the outside of the door in the hallway. So we knew that nobody was in, in that vicinity or even on the property that night but us. So Miranda was sleeping on the full bed in the, in the interior room, Jenny and I, or the exterior room, Jenny and I were in the interior room. So about 15 minutes after we said goodnight, you see us get in bed and we say goodnight, lights go off. And about 15 minutes later, there's a man outside the door saying, please don't go. It was so loud. And everything that we had recording that night captured this voice. And Miranda said, um, did y'all hear that? And I said, yeah. She said, what does that sound like? I said, there's a man standing outside our door. And she said, yeah, that's what I thought. And so for me, that was one of those that you're not expecting this loud, booming, disembodied voice. Um, so that was really startling. It was fascinating. And we, you know, I love it as a, one of our best pieces of evidence. But that was one that we did not expect. Wow. And I have to know, did you say, why? Why do I need to stay? 
And honestly, we didn't at that point. We just okay. kind of we just kind of rolled over and went back to sleep. Um, I'd be like, "Why is it me? Or are you expecting <laughs> something? Like, is there another person in this room that's not supposed to leave? Like, what?" Yeah, you know, it was interesting. And like I said, it, we we never really we did not follow up with any questions. It was about three thirty in the morning at that point, and we had been investigating for two nights. Right. And um, and that whole investigation experience in that in that hotel um was fascinating we were capturing footsteps disembodied voices um the three of us were down in the kitchen and this is the off season so nothing is is going in the kitchen and all um so we're standing in the kitchen and i said uh, if you're here just let us know that you want us to stay here the coffee pot turns on and we have that on camera we have where i just happened to have the the camera filming that wall where the coffee pot was and i said could just let us know that you're here and want us to stay coffee pot turns on uh, there's no reason for a coffee pot to turn on at 2 15 in the morning on yeah, in yeah. the off season and so that was fascinating so that was a great investigation but really all of the ones that we've gone to have had a, a fascination level again for the historical perspective of the location as well as the paranormal that we've been able to capture that's so awesome. I mean, I can talk to you for hours. Let's be honest. This is super, super exciting. But let's talk just for a small smidgen of a moment here about you are a businesswoman. Mm -hmm. And so, and we are here on the Overgivers Anonymous podcast because we're <laughs> business owners. Right. And we talk a lot on our shows generally about ways that we've overcome people who've pushed boundaries. I mean, we've talked about how the, how they, you know, like the entities have pushed your boundaries, but let's talk about <laughs> your clients and people you work with, sure. um, pushing your boundaries or ways that maybe you have overgiven so that you have literally neglected maybe your own needs or your family needs in running or starting your business. Do you have something that you want to share with us about that? And, you know, not so much to the extent where I've overgiven, um, you know, every, every woman in my family is extremely strong. We're extremely independent. Um, you know, uh, I have a PhD, my twin has a PhD, our younger sister's a lawyer. So, um, we've always been very headstrong, um, very, uh, go after what you want type of a mentality. And so for us, um, it's one of those things where we've always been pushing boundaries. Uh, you know, I was in a, to your, to your, uh, introduction earlier, you know, I was in a male dominated field with regard to biometrics, uh, especially for aviation access control. And so, you know, be, to be able to become a senior director to the point where, again, I was uh, presenting in front of U.S. Congress and U.S. senators um, on some of our biometric technologies. Uh, so all everybody in my family has always been overachievers to that respect, but it's always been something that we've extremely in, in enjoyed. And um, one that I can't say that we've been held back at all. Um, anytime we just come to a wall, we either find a way to bust through it or go around it and, and forge our own path. And I think that's what we're doing here with the jail. Um, you know, Soul Sisters Paranormal and Paranormal Investigations really just started as a hobby for my sisters and I. And um, it was never meant to be any type of a business. It was just something that allowed us to get together a few times a year in different parts of the country and do something unique on a girl's trip. And uh, <laughs> so and so. Um, you know, when people started really appreciating what we did and how we did it, uh, then it really kind of catapulted itself into this business structure. And I was fortunate enough to meet my business partner, Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Explorations. And uh, she's from Scott County, which is where this jail is located. And it, it really is through the paranormal that she and I got together and were able to open this business. And so what we've done here is, uh, to your introduction earlier, we've opened uh, the historic Scott County Jail, which was a jail that was built in 1904 and in operation until 2008. And then it really set vacant until last year when Miranda and I decided we wanted to to try our hand at running a museum 
So basically, we are everything to this company. We are the janitors. We are the marketing people. We are the advertisers. We are the promoters. We are the CEOs. We're the tour guides. Um, everything that is is forward facing with this business has just been the two of us, and I'm extremely proud about that. That's fantastic. And I think that what's interesting about your take on my question is that so many of us women who do not have massive amounts of really strong other women around them are instead stuck in this place where, I mean, I worked in IT. I mean, mm -hmm. I tried, I, yeah. I surrounded myself with men and men oriented situations as well. I felt most comfortable there. Mm -hmm. And yet still I have the misogynistic lifestyle world that happens around me, right? Well, I can't push too hard because then they're going to think I'm a bitch. I can't push too hard because they're not going to take me seriously. If I'm too emotional, they're not going to take me seriously. And a lot of these things that a lot of women in business, a lot of business owners bring this to their businesses after they've been working corporately. And so the struggle is how do I be strong without coming off like a bitch? <laughs> and it, it really is. And, and sometimes if you do have to come off like that, then that's the mantle that you wear, right? And 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 you have to just be proud of that. And and there are times where, you know, I I, I had a staff of about 300 under me uh, when I managed several different airports with registered traveler. And sometimes you have to be that, that type of a figurehead. But on the flip side, you know, I was also there at five in the morning doing the grunt work with my employees as well. So you do have to find that balance. You've got to, to let your employees know that you are with them to some extent, um, but you can't give up the fact that you are the manager as well. And so sometimes those are, are just monikers that you have to embrace. Um, you know, obviously nobody wants to be called a bitch, but if that's going to allow you to proceed and do what you need to do and have that done successfully, then sometimes that's what you've got to do. That's awesome. I love the fact that you have now officially given everybody permission to just stand up for what they believe in and to hell with what people think about you. Right. Well, I mean, really, life is too short, really, to be worried about that. Um, you know, and, and I don't I don't want to come off as, you know, egotistical or anything like that. But it it really is. Are you going to go 30 years into the future and then say, man, I wish I would have stood up for myself? Or are you going to do it now and 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 see where the cards lie? Um, because I would much rather have pushed those boundaries now and to realize, okay, um, you know, pushing that boundary got me this or it, it led me down this path um, than to say I stood there like a wallflower and now I think what could have been. Uh, and, you know, so same thing with the business that we're opening now, you know, Miranda and I sat down for about two months and we decided what it was going to look like, what we we're going to be called, um, you know, our business name, our structure, um, everything from the, the logo to our, our grand marketing advertising scheme. Right. So we sat down and, and so then we went to the to the mayor and the aldermen of the town and said, listen, this is what we want to do. We think our ha we have our ducks in a row. We think we're professional on, on professional enough to do it. Will you allow us this opportunity? Opportunity. And they said unanimously, yes. Um, you know, basically the mayor said, you're what we've been waiting for. And unless you push those boundaries, you're not, you don't know who's waiting for you down the yeah. road. You have to be able to, to go ahead and assert yourself, be confident enough in yourself to know that you can succeed and go out there and get it. I love it. I love that. I love the fact that you backed this up. You said, we did our research. This is what we believed in. We put together a plan. And even though you went to ask permission, what I felt from that conversation was, 
you have to ask permission because that's just part of the, that's just part of the way that we play the game, Mm -hmm. but it was, we're going to do this and we're solid in how Mm -hmm. we do it. And when you, when you come at it from that angle, so I, I, my listeners listen, this, this is important. (laughs) (laughs) I know that each and every one of you are very heart centered and you, you love what you do. You're good at what you do. You want the best for the people that you are providing this service for. Ultimately you you're not going to come off as a bitch. It's just, mm-hmm. you're not going to. I've been telling you this for years, but what is happening is if you are confident the way that Christy and her business part were confident in what they had to present, when you present it with strength mm-hmm. and when you present it with chutzpah behind exactly. it, right? Yeah. You're coming off as a confident human being and it feels uncomfortable because you've probably been told your whole life that when you come off like that, you, you come off like a bitch, but you're not, you're coming off as a strong business owner. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for giving that insight, Christy. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't have the strength and the confidence to believe in yourself, then why should somebody else? And so that's, again, that's the reason why you've got to hold your head high, know your product, know your service, know your business, and really get in there and sell it because you're the one who is going to rise or fall with it. And you're the one that has to have confidence in yourself. Ah. Thank you so much. Not only was this a really fun Halloween episode, but we got all your digs and bits about your business too. I think we did a good job covering them both. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a fantastic day. You as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Overgivers Anonymous podcast. Your support means the world to me. You can find show notes for this episode and other goodies at overgiversanonymous.ca. And if you enjoyed this episode or you enjoyed the podcast in general, why not join us in the Overgivers Anonymous Facebook group where you can connect with overgivers from all over the world. Head on over to geekygirl.ca slash group.